Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Goedemora. Hey. Ik is bij je opgewonder. En een beetje zin weerachtig. Ja, ik kan een beetje taal praten. It's one of the most beautiful, most descriptive languages of Afrikaans. The Krewe Wielse Skreegeleid, Kerme Doot Versichtigheid. Oh, no, the poets. Louis Leipold. Yeah, I got you a shock for a Durban boy, eh? An Aussie mate. It's so wonderful to be here for Glenda Mir. It's just been like the cherry on the cake, you know, after seven weeks. Um, this is one of those highlights. This, these last, well, this is our fifth meeting, eh? The fourth meeting, four meetings have been so wonderful. And today, Lord have mercy on us. <laughs> we woke up at three o'clock in the morning and we couldn't get back to sleep. So it was a bikki not Not from preaching, just from lack of sleep. <laughs> so if I wander around and look like I've got, um, I, I'm 90, then um, anyway. <clears throat> I asked Esther, is Sean always happy like this? <laughs> and she said, yes. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we, uh, we fly tomorrow to um, Australia. And, uh, of course, we're looking forward to getting home and being with our family and grandchildren, grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren. And so that's, I was talking about we're from the Rufus dynasty of the King William Rufus. Of, so I, was, I was brought my, my, my tartan, no. Um, but you know, uh, we really love South Africa. And it's hard to say goodbye to this country. When I left this, when we left this country to, to relocate to Australia, then to Hong Kong, <clears throat> I wrote a song about South Africa. And I, I'm not going to play it because it'll take too long, but I'll just tell you some of the words if I remember them. <clears throat> I can never forget you, for I hear your call like the wild-winged birds that fly so high in your sky. And the whispering winds of Africa still haunt me in the night with your silent memories. Oh, South Africa. I love your peoples, your mountains, and your plains. I'm leaving your borders, but my heart still remains. And I've, I've run through your valleys, and I've stood on your heights, and I've walked in your forests, and I've touched your soul. Your sounds and your smells and your rhythms I know so well. And the elephant and the rhino, long may you roam in freedom and your ancient dignity. Oh, South Africa, you're the land of my birth. I love your peoples, your mountains, and the plains. I'm leaving your borders, but my heart still remains. Oh, South Africa. When the shadows of the night flicker across your lovely face, scarred and etched in a tapestry of pain, oh, South Africa, you will rise again, towering over the darkness in a bright, blazing flame, exalting and magnifying that magnificent, majestic name. Father, we thank you for this country. 
We thank you that you brought the Huguenots here and you brought people with the Bible here and the Dutch here. This is a land, Lord, of revival history, and we decree and declare that this land becomes across the whole earth the revelation of a people that have walked with the Word of God for the existence of settlers in this nation, the First Nation people, black, white, colored, whatever color, Lord, your word is going across this land, and there'd be more missionaries and apostolic assignments going from this land into the nations of which Glenda and I are part of that. And we declare, Lord, may this country inseminate the nations of the earth with the seed of the word in power, and may this church rise and rise to, to, to levels that are unprecedented patterns that it's even beyond the imagination. We declare that over this house, Father, in Jesus' name. Okay. Give the Lord a shout. I, I want to talk. You say he's got notes. We haven't seen any notes for four. <laughs> I'm just trying to be like normal preachers so that you think I'm okay. <laughs> I want to talk today briefly about the two husbands uh, from uh, the Bible. It's good to preach from the Bible, not the second letter of imaginations. So I want to talk about the husband of the law and the other husband, Jesus. So there are two husbands. One is the law, one is Jesus. So let's, if you've got your Bibles, uh, you could open the Quran if you've got that. But let's go to Romans 7. <laughs> Romans 7. And let's read from... <laughs> wow. Wonderful. Romans 7, let's read from verse 1 all the way through to verse 6. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died. You also died. You also died. Not going to. You also died. Can't be deader than dead. You also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong, that you might belong. There's so many Christians who want to belong to Jesus, but they don't know that they've died to the law. So they're trying to, you cannot belong to Jesus if you haven't died to the law, because then you're an adulteress, spiritual adultery. So many Christians, confused, running from one husband to another husband. You know, we say, oh, we have a yo-yo Christianity, up and down, up and down, up today, and then down tomorrow, up and down. It's not yo-yo. It's husband-to-husband Christianity. That's the problem that causes confusion. It's the disease that is eating the church up worldwide, having two husbands at the same time. It's worse than natural adultery. It's spiritual adultery to the living God. People, are, they make the law equal with Jesus. And so, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ so that... You might belong to him, 
He was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. And I don't want to even identify what that fruit is, but we won't go down there. Okay, but now by dying to what once bound us, these people that think the law is so, the law is holy, but if it comes to you, it's going to make you unholy. The law is never meant to make you holy. The law is holy, but it cannot make you holy. The law's designed. The, the Father designed the law not to make you holy. He designed the law to make you sin. For the, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 and Romans 5 verse 19 that the law was introduced to increase the transgression. To reveal and expose our fallen nature in first Adam, and that we would totally despair of ever coming right with God by the law, and that we'd run from the law and run into the arms of grace. For that's where we get born again, and grace is the power to live in freedom and joy. If you invoke that grace, like Sean's saying, every day, I, I myself as well, I ask for fire on my life every day. I cannot live my life waiting for people to encourage me because that's an immature baby. Mature people encourage themselves in the Lord because to live with a man or a woman in marriage that do not encourage themselves is to be a merc—it's a merciless, savage uh, obligation that you're living with a grumpy person. You know, did you wake up grumpy? No, I let them sleep in for ten more minutes. It's you're living with a person that is in a bad mood, and then a good mood, and then a bad mood, then a good mood. Imagine Jesus saying, "Father, today I feel like being in a bad mood. I feel woke." I've got a woke culture now, and I've been, uh, people are wanting to stone me, they're wanting to crucify me, they're lying about me, they're calling me the devil, Beelzebub. I feel like I'm abandoned and rejection, Father, and my disciples are running around going crazy half the time, and the crowds leave me when I talk about eat my blood, I drink my blood, and they just leave me, and I just feel rejected, and I'm just going to get in a bad mood today. Imagine if Jesus did that. He couldn't have died, the sinless Lamb of God. He monitored his moods. He spent time with his father. He didn't just dip into church on a Sunday morning for give me a little word for my narcissistic greed. I keep saying it over this week, and we're not, we're not called to come to Jesus to, to find ourselves. We're called to come to Jesus to deny ourselves and live with a sacrificial spirit, with a martyr spirit to love him. And when you live like that, you are happy. Half-hearted, lukewarm Christian, Christianity is so miserable. Yeah. I would have got saved long before I got saved. Because, but a problem, what delayed me was I met Christians. Yeah. And they were so insipid, I wanted to slap them. <laughs> Glenda's going, okay, no, no. the nurture in her is going, no, don't be rough now, be nice. <laughs> okay, dear. <laughs> Okay, I won't go down that road anymore. <laughs> and let's read verse 8. Sorry, verse 6. But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So here's the thing. Let's take the word that's, you know, freedom comes by knowing truth. It doesn't come by good feelings. It comes by knowing truth. 
I love good feelings. I'm a feeling person. I'm an, you saw, I'm an emotional person. I love emotions. I love feelings. Jesus was very passionate. He was very emotional. There's nothing wrong with good emotions, but emotions reveal your belief system. If you believe a legalistic belief system, your emotions will reflect that. You, you, what you believe, what you, what you, what, what's your worldview, your paradigm is going to affect your emotions. So believing the gospel is mental health. If everyone in South Africa truly got revelation of the true gospel, <clears throat> it would make <clears throat> every psychiatrist bankrupt. I don't see any of the apostles needing a psychiatric help. As you Paul the apostle, you know, I need some psychiatric help. I've been put in prison. They threw rocks in my face. Uh, I've been whipped. I've had rivers attack me. I've had, I've got, I've had, I've had all hell break out against me. And Paul says, these are momentary light afflictions that are storing up for me an eternal weight of glory. See, we have the authority, because we're not animals. We have the authority made in the image of likeness of God to determine what mood we're going to be in today. Not the circumstance dictates your mood. You are the master of your ship. You are the master of your soul. And if you're married, you owe it to your wife or your husband for you to be in a good mood to make their life a quality life. Amen. Otherwise, don't get married if you're going to inflict that kind of torture on someone by being in a good mood today and a bad mood tomorrow. An up and down yo-yo life. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. And the devil wants us unhappy. The devil wants us to follow Sigmund Freud. He was a sex maniac. And yet he's influenced the Western world far more than Christianity. Even people who haven't heard about Sigmund Freud live like him. It's my father's fault. He put me in a cupboard to discipline me. And I'm all messed up because of the way I was treated as a kid. If you had a background like that, that's terrible. and It's wrong. But you can come to Christ, get a new creation nature, find out about God's love, enter into the glory presence of God. For as Psalm 16 verse 18 says, For in His presence there is fullness of joy, and it is right-hand pleasure forevermore. I go into the presence of God every day. In Australia, I might get up to have my coffee, because God said, Don't pray before you've had coffee. So I said, Yes, Lord. And then I go to my man's cave. I go to my man's cave, and then I just, I, 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 don't, I don't necessarily even start worshiping. I say, Holy Spirit, come and put your fire on me, because I know what's in me. You've got the fullness of God on the inside of you, but you need His power on you. That's when the powers are changing your emotions and healing broken hearts and opening prison doors and setting at liberty them that have been bruised. All the anointing is there for mental health, soul health, physical health, righteousness health, financial wealth. Now you guys are listening so well, you're making me preach stupid. Okay. So every morning I'll go there, I'll say, Holy Spirit, search me and see if there's any wicked way in me. I'm not going to search myself because I'll be too hard on myself or too soft on myself. So he's so redemptive. He comes and he searches and you find out he loves me. He cares about me. He's, it's every day I'm current. If I miss one day, calcification starts building up in my heart. And above all else, guard your heart because out of it come the issues of life. If my heart isn't pure, clean, and washed every day because I'm speaking to negative things and telling them to come out of my heart, pulling out the weeds so the seed of the word can find in my heart a capacity to 
regenerate and produce life. Can you say amen? So I must above all else guard my own heart. Every day, Lord, search me. Let your fire come on me. Burn out insults. Burn out. I'm feeling a bit hurt about what that person said. And I don't want to carry hurt because hurt then turns to offense. And offense then turns to bitterness. And it shuts down the capacity of my heart to generate the word of God. So I have to have a pure heart. And I don't, I'm like a pregnant lady. I don't just eat for me. I eat for the baby inside of me. I don't just eat in the anointing and the word and have my quiet time to be with the Lord, which is a loud time. I don't just do it for my well-being. I do it for my well-being, but I do it so I can heal and bless the people around me. Come on. I'm always wanting to be vigilant that my mood is, is determined not by my circumstances, but determined by my choice to invite that fire to come and burn the dross out of me. Okay, thank you. So bless you. And um, so we've just read this. So we've got the law husband and we've got the, the, the grace husband who's Jesus. Jesus is grace in personified. Now, the law husband is a fault-finding husband. He never lifts a finger to help you. He just points at your faults. Ladies, if what I've just said is in some way similar to the husband you're sitting with, it's purely coincidence. <laughs> and the problem with this husband who never lifts a finger to help you and he's always pointing out your faults. The problem with him is he's always right. So you're married. When you're born into this world, you're married to a spiritual fault-finding husband that points out your faults and never lifts a finger to help you, and he's always right. You can't argue with him. And you say, oh, really? Was I born into this earth, married to the law? Yes, you were. The Bible says it's all over the place. And the worst thing about this is Matthew 5, Jesus said, and the law will never pass away. So you're married to a fault-finding husband. <laughs> he never lifts his finger to help you. Come on. Come on. And he's always right. And you can't kill him because he won't die. Because Jesus said he'll never pass away. Because the law's out of thunder to the unbelievers. The law's not for those in Christ. The purpose of the law is to thunder to the unbelievers and make them experience spiritual bankruptcy before God that they're not holy because the law has exposed their bankruptcy so that they will run to grace and run to Jesus and be saved. Run to the right husband who does lift a finger to help you. He lifted his whole body up on the cross. And he doesn't speak to you like you are wrong. He speaks to you with grace. And he lifts you. And he blesses you, the gift with a lift, and you wise up and size up, the discovery that brings recovery, Jesus, the beautiful husband. And yet the church around the world, not you, but the church around the world, is living in spiritual adultery, going to this husband, then to that husband, then to this husband, then to that husband. Listen, you died to the law. Because this is the dilemma we're in. The law's never going to die. So you can't get away from this husband. You can't just divorce him and go to Jesus because if you divorce him and go to Jesus, then, then you're committing adultery. Because Galatians 3 says we were born prisoners of the law until faith should be revealed. Then we were unlocked from the prison of the law. 
So the Lord's not going to die. So you, if you divorce the Lord and go to Jesus, you're committing spiritual adultery. So we've got a terrible dilemma. So what, what's God's answer to it? The Lord doesn't die. <laughs> you die to the law. <laughs> and to die means you're dead. You can't be deader than dead. If you're dead, if, if I fell down dead, and God forbid, although I'd be with Jesus, that it's not so bad, actually, but sorry, Glenda. Anyway, <laughs> oh, you get a payout, man. No, sorry. If I fell down now, I was truly dead, truly dead. You could stick cigarettes in me. I wouldn't even flinch. You could insult me with the worst words, and hey, oh, he's gone. Uh, you know, what an idiot. I wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt me because I'm dead. You're dead to the Lord. It cannot hurt you. It has no authority to condemn you. It has no authority to judge you. are free from the law. The law is holy, but it cannot make you holy. It can make you feel like you're going to hell. It can make you feel confused. It can make you feel shame and guilt and make psychiatrists rich. Religion is the opiate of the people. Karl Marx was right. It destroys people. Got, in America, they're saying, let's bring the Ten Commandments up in, in the church and put them in the front. No, we're dead to that. That's for the unbelievers. That's for the lost. Put it up for the lost. Let it pierce their hearts. That's what the law says in Romans 3.19. The law holds us accountable before God. To unbelievers, it says. So that we, are, we despair of any hope in ourselves. Now we're ready for faith and grace. Can you say amen? amen. So that's the Lord's, that's a solution. The Lord doesn't die, you die to the Lord. Never tell people the grace message means the law has gone. It's not gone. It will never pass away, Jesus said. But you passed away from the law. You died to the law. So that you can go and marry Jesus and have an intimate relationship with a person who has power to impart to you and invest seed into you so you fall pregnant with miracles, vision, hope. <laughs> but there's this mysterious, shocking reality that the majority of Christians go back to the law in subtle ways. Because it's so subtle, it's so clever, it's so cunning. And Paul describes people that go from grace back to the law as unreflecting idiots. In Galatians 3.1 he says, you foolish Galatians. That's not, you know, that's, people say, you know, you shouldn't say bad words as a preacher. Well, which Bible are they reading? Paul says the law is like dung. In Philippians 3 he says, if you go back to the law, it's like going back to dung. And it's a much worse word than dung. Just check it in the Greek. I won't go there anymore. I tampered with that too much. My wife nearly killed me. When I got home, she said, you said that word. Which word exactly? I'm not saying it. <laughs> but we become Victorian and Elizabethan in our hypocritical morality because Paul looked around society till he found the most horrific word that wasn't even spoken. They didn't want to sound that in society. And Paul, by the leading of the Spirit, put it in the Bible. In Philippians 3, he says, 
honoring Sabbath and, 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 and the Ten Commandments and all, doing all that stuff. If you go Philippians 3, you can see it. He goes through the whole thing, being a Pharisee of Pharisees, according to the law, righteous. He says, all that now I see it as dung. So, and he uses the word, whoa, worse than dung. He's trying to describe to the church, you're flipping mad if you go back to that stuff. You're flipping mad if you go back to that old husband. He's brutal, man. He'll destroy your marriage. He'll destroy you. And yet... You get these Christians. <laughs> They're like the Galatians. And like almost every church in the Bible, they all went back to the law for a while and broke Paul's heart. And he had to say, I'm going to sort you guys out. You're going off the religious calendars. Anyway, I'm not going to go there either, but it's all there in Galatians 3. You're going off the religious calendars. And he said, now you're leaving the presence of God and you're coming under God's, G-O-D-S, God's, which are principalities and powers and demons. That's what the church, and then there were no miracles now. Where's the miracles gone? You can't produce miracles from the wrong husband. He's dead. He's sterile. He, he's got, just tells you what to do, but he can't lift a finger to help you, and he's always right. I, I remember, um, ooh, I want to go, uh, when we were pastoring in, in Pantan, I'm nearly finished, actually. When I was pastoring in Pantan, I know some of you know me now, I say, oh, that means nothing. When Jesus said, it is finished, he meant it, but not this guy. <laughs> so we're pastoring, and, and, you know, pastors take Monday off. This is back in about 1982 when we were young, <laughs> my youth. And um, I said to Glenda one Monday morning on our day off, I said, I feel so bored today, you know. There's nothing happening here in Pantan. You know, I, I just need something a little bit exciting today. And God heard my prayer. And like a minute or two later, phone rings. I pick it up. It's a lady from my church. She said, oh, Rob, uh, my husband's gone. He's gone mad. Would you please come and help? I said, I'll be there right away. If I had known what was waiting for me there, I, I, I had the South African bodybuilding champion, Paul McFarlane, in our church. I would have taken him with. If I'd have known exciting this day was going to become. He can do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask or think. <laughs> so I go to three stories up to this flat. I'm by myself. I knock on the door expecting the wife to be there. She's gone. She's run away. I knock on the door. The door opens and her husband, who I knew, member of my church, they weren't all like this guy. Okay? But anyway, the door opens and there he's standing there totally naked. So I go. So I said, I'm going to be careful I don't use the names. So, so, so I just walk in, and he's taken everything out the fridge, and he's thrown it up against the walls. He's thrown this, this egg stick in there, this cheese and butter, there, empty milk bottles smashed against the wall. And I, I where's your wife? I, no, she's gone. I said, I can understand why. I mean, this isn't just a little fight. This is like serious stuff, you know. And anyway, so, so then he, he, he goes and he picks up a whole bottle of whiskey. And he's, he's obviously drunk a whole, for another bottle already. But he, this is a full bottle. And he walks over to where I'm standing. I'm thinking, oh, no, he's going to hit me on the head with this thing. And he comes up. 
Southern Comfort. I still remember. I was so traumatized. Southern Comfort. There's no comfort in there. I'll never drink Southern Comfort. Never one touch Southern Comfort. I am traumatized. I need inner healing. I need a psychiatrist. So I saw Southern Comfort coming. He's holding it, the neck of it. He's walking towards me. And, he, and I think he's going to hit me. And then he, he smashes it on the table. And now he's just got the, the jagged neck in his hand. He walks around and comes right up to me like this. Now he's holding it near my neck. And I go, okay, Jesus, coming home. And it, it, was, it was about three, five seconds, longest five seconds of my life, I think. Because he's going to push this thing, and I'm going to bleed out. And you could see the demonic was, and something still in his humanity was resisting it. I thought, okay. And then he just threw the glass down. I think that's good. And he ran across the lounge and dived through the window, three stories. No, there's no, no there's just no, there's no swimming pool there. Three stories. <laughs> so I, thought, I ran out down the stairs. I thought I'm going to have to pick him up, and he was gone. So they go to the front of the house, and his brother-in-law's arrived because uh, his, his sisters phoned him, and his brother-in-law's arrived, and his brother-in-law's sitting in his car, and the husband is on the roof, and he's jumping like on the roof like a trampoline, and now there's a total swimming pool dent in the, and, and, and then I said to the brother-in-law, just drive to the police station with him on the roof, just drive to the police station, so my best pastoral counsel, just drive to the this is, a, this is like a normal day in every pastor's life. Just drive to the next day. I'm going home for a, bo I want a boring Monday now. Just drive. So then, so then the guy, while the car's going, just dives off the roof. Onto the road. It's naked now, in the middle of Pantan. <laughs> So I think, okay, this is a great day. Anyway, I, I take, I, we find the wife, we bring her to our home, and we put her inside our house, and it all seems fine. Everything seems good now. <laughs> but the day isn't finished. <laughs> like, she's, she's, don't wet your pants. <laughs> <She's risky. laughs> At 3 o'clock in the morning, it's a loud bang on the door. And I looked through the curtain with Glenda, and he's there. I said, okay, do not open the door until I'm going to go and get the hammer. And this is the truth. I went and got a hammer out my toolbox. I said, I'm going out the back door. I'm going to go right around through the bushes and come up behind him with the hammer ready. Now, you open, because I'm not casting our demons anymore. I'm going to cast the, <laughs> I'm going to cast him out of the demons. Because the demons are saying, this guy's so bad, we're trying to get out of him. <laughs> So, so I come up behind him with a hammer because I think if he runs towards my house in this demonized state, I've got my little kids there. I'm going to smack him on the head. <laughs> just like normal pastors do. Just smack. <laughs> it's a new form of discipline. But anyway, so Glenda opens the door and he's like in his right mind now. He's got clothes on and he's in his right mind, but he's still... A problem, serious problem. And as soon as she hears his voice, she jumps up, shouts his name with joy, and runs straight into his arms. I want to take the hammer and hit her on the head. <laughs> and off they go. She went back to the wrong husband. He's a murderer. 
And of course, she didn't last very I said, please don't go back with this guy. You have every right to get divorced. This guy's sleeping around with both sexes. He's gone mad. He's a Christian. Demonized now. Can Christians have demons? Yes. Not inside your spirit, not inside the Holy of Holies, but they can affect your head. You need to stay hot and f on fire. Flies can't land on a hot stove. But they can land on a lukewarm cold stove. Come on, Paul warned that in the last days there'll be perilous times, there'll be doctrines of demons in the church. Putting the law on people is a doctrine of a demon. Because when the law, when Colossians 2.15, when it says he's canceled the law and all the written you know, writings of the law, he's canceled it at the cross. He's canceled it off us. He hasn't canceled it off the world, but he's canceled it off us. So if the Lord has canceled something off us and we go back under what he's canceled, we are coming under doctrines of demons. And that's why so many Christians have got psychiatric problems. They were normal before they got saved. Then they got saved into a law-based religion, which is absolutely dangerous. She went back to him. And then I begged her, phoned her, pleaded with her, and finally she left. And she's a beautiful lady, this woman. She's a good friend of ours now. And she's still free. And I saw her brother that was driving the car just a few days ago in Pinetown. <laughs> and we just look at each other and nod, yeah, we remember. <laughs> yeah, we remember. So here we go. We, uh, nearly finished now. So here we go. We, we're free. And we're with Jesus, the wonderful husband. He's, he's, isn't Jesus wonderful? So magnificent. So majestic. So glorious, so gracious, so human, and so fully God. And we come to Jesus, and we find him so wonderful, and then we go back to the law. And Jesus said, why, why are you going back to that murderous husband? Why are you going back to, well, Lord, you know, these parts of my life that are still not right, and I'm still a bit bad and falling short in these areas. So I thought I'd go back to the law and let him sort me out, let him counsel me and sort me out. And Jesus looks at us like, don't you know who I am? Don't you know I'm grace personified, that I love you, and you're going to this husband to beat you up? Come to me, all you that are heavy laden. And burden. Come to me and I will give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me. You're dead to the Lord. It can't touch you unless you go submit to it again. But you're dead to it and alive to me. You belong to me. I'm your husband. I love you. I will look after you. I, I think about you all the time. You're on the front of my mind all the time. I'm constantly interceding for you and mediating for you to bring you into my Father's arms. I'm, Jesus said, I am the way to the Father. Come to me. I'll take you to the love of the Father. Holy Spirit. So let me close with this. This means I am closing. This is in, from John 1, 16 and 17. It says, we've all received the grace of God, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I honor Moses, and I honor the law for its purpose. Can you say Amen but I do not tolerate churches 
that ever we go to that are thinking that they're under the law. And they're living in this mixture of law and grace. And you cannot live in a confusing cocktail of law and grace because they will cancel each other. The law is powerful, friends, and grace is powerful. But when you mix them together, they cancel each other. And now the law is not powerful enough to lead people to Christ. And now grace isn't powerful enough to heal us, to deliver us, to set us free, and to save us. But pure grace... When pure grace, 100%, because condemnation stops miracles. Galatians 5 is for you foolish, no, Galatians 5 for you who are trying to be justified by the law, you've made Christ of no effect or you've fallen from grace. So why aren't we seeing more miracles around the world? One reason, not, it's not because it's not enough fasting. Fasting doesn't produce miracles. It's important, helps you and me, but it's not our great prayer life. It's God's will is to heal every human being on the planet and to save every human being. And when we get rid of the law, conscious thinking, and condemnation, it doesn't mean we're going to license and just sin. No, we don't just leave the law husband and run into the wilderness to do our own thing. We leave one to go to the other and belong to him. He was raised from the dead that we bear fruit unto God. Our fruit is a holy lifestyle. Our fruit is freedom from condemnation. Our fruit is miracles. Our fruit is we're leading people to Christ. When people say, I don't need Jesus, give them the law. Don't give them Jesus. Give them the law. Jesus said, if you just look at someone with lust, you've committed adultery. And you can go right through the law, and you can, it's the spirituality of the law, and everyone will know, I am finished. I have no hope of going to heaven. I'm going straight into hell. I'll split hell wide open, because I was so arrogant before God that I thought, I will show him. I'll keep the law. You can't even, most people can't even know how to love God with all their heart, all their mind, all their soul, and all their strength. Number one, if we fail that, there's still none coming. But with one, the laws of compound unity fail in one, you've broken them all. The Bible says that. It's made that way to make it impossible to be saved by human self-righteousness. We have to come through the gift of righteousness. And when we talk to people, we don't say, just come to Jesus, he'll give you peace. No, explain to them their sin has separated them from God. And the law is not going to save you. The law is what's condemning you. Now you need to come to the right husband. Come to him. I just believe in eternal security, but if you don't believe in that, that's fine. You're wrong and I'm right. No, if you want to be and what the other husband is. Okay. The law demands the perfect standard of God's righteousness from you. Grace gives you God's free goo. Grace says, it's done, it's done, it's done. It's finished. Rest. You are safe. The law says your sins I will never forget. This makes you conscious of Christ Jesus. The law has a big finger that points at all your sin. Took away all your sins. The law always accuses you. Obedience of first Adam and condemned us all. Grace took the obedience of Jesus and declared us. It's a revelation of how wrong you are before God. Grace is a revelation of how perfectly right much more abound. If sin floods the earth, grace is an endless ocean of mercy and hope. The law makes us ask, what must I do? Grace tells us what Jesus has already done for you. The law is a heavy burden with an impossible yoke of bondage of death. Grace is a ministry of life. The law is a fading glory. Grace is an ever-increasing glory. The law demands from you. Grace has already earned the blessing for you. The law is dependent on you. Grace is dependent. Grace will always succeed for you. The law justifies nobody and condemns us and saves the worst of us. 
Thank God for Jesus. Just lift your hands before the throne of God. That dear lady went back to a murderous husband totally. Thank God. Father, we thank you. It's free. We thank you for the clarity in your word. We are beloveds. We are the beloved of the beloved. We are beloved daughters. We are your righteousness. We are royal priests. We are kings. We stand here with the divine dignity imputed to us and imparted to us. We will always be human, and you will all. But we are sons and daughters of royalty, of majesty. The creator of the heavens and the earth is our Father. He is the light that comes into the world. He is the life, blessing given to Abraham freely by faith. All you ask is that we see grace. He is effortlessly in our hearts. Faith is easy. Looking unto Jesus at the cross for the joy set before him. We are your joy, Jesus. He endured it for us. We are so grateful for your love that you gave yourself for us. That we may come to the Father. That we don't need to experience one more dark day of depression. For as the enemy comes and tries to surround us with evil people who abuse us, insult us, we can get up every morning, have our coffee, step into the presence of fire, and invite your fire to remove the cockroaches and all the stinking stuff that tried to attach itself to us. And we get to the place where the shield of faith is so full of revelation of grace that our shield quenches every fiery dart of the evil one. So we develop dip diplomatic immunity. As we walk in this earth, we have ambassadorial authority as sons of God. So the unsaved on their way to hell and still under the law could see the miraculous joy, the presence of a living God shining in our lives that we are light in a dark time. I love every person in this house, Father, but you love us perfectly. And we thank you for this house, Father. What an honor for everyone in this house to be in such an oasis of love, free from condemnation and law mixtures. Thank you for the leadership of this house, Lord, to stand with courage and face the onslaught of the legalistic spirit that wants to witchcraft them and get them to bow and bend and compromise freedom and truth. But they stand resolute. And Lord, we applaud them, all the leaders, and we applaud this house that it will go even further into the realms of grace. For the greater the revelation of grace, the greater the manifestation of His glory. And His glory is the lifter of our heads. We stand with dignity with joy, free, clean in your eyes. In Jesus' name. So let your fire fall. 
Let healing come, Lord. Let healing come to marriages. Let healing come to physical bodies. Let healing come to bank accounts. Let restoration and, and Lord, let your blessing that you are releasing all the time, the blessing of Abraham. We, the Gentile church, have hardly touched the blessing of Abraham, yet we are redeemed from the curse so that the blessing of Abraham can come to the Gentiles by the promise of the Spirit through faith. Lord, help us. And anyone get around Jesus, they would always say to Jesus, increase our faith. He's the author of faith. I decree increase of faith in this house to make contact with the living God and to make contact with the power of the blessing, to release the power of the blessing. For it is you that give us the power to produce wealth, that you may establish your covenant. And we remember it's you, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who, who were the forerunners of grace. And Christ confirmed the Abrahamic covenant on the cross. And we walk in the Abrahamic covenant and we declare that the law covenant will not touch us. We're dead to that old covenant law. We will not go near that ugly old husband. We will stay with you, Jesus. Even when we make a mistake and sin, we're not running back to the law. We're staying with you, Jesus, because you're interceding for us. You're mediating for us. We run straight into your arms. If you mess up and make a mistake, don't run from him. Run right into his arms. He'll kiss you and hug you and he'll love you. This will not make you sin more. This will, be, this will make you so happy. <laughs> you enjoy him. Jesus is the most wonderful person to be with. I love fellowshipping with him by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus. The Holy Spirit teaches you about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit manifests Christ Jesus to us. You cannot know Jesus without the Holy Spirit's help. Jesus said, when he comes, he will testify of me. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus. The Holy Spirit does not draw us to himself. The Holy Spirit draws us to Jesus. That's his ministry. He's equally God as Jesus is, but he draws us to Jesus. When you come to Jesus, you're suddenly worshiping the Father now because Jesus is the way to the Father. So I worship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Everything comes from the Father. It comes through Jesus, and we experience it and receive it by the Holy Spirit's help because we're in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, I bless this house, this meeting, all the people here, and the next gathering. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen.